Hello and welcome to a new English edition of my podcast Helium Talk, das Kunstgespräch. My name is Jörg Heikhaus and my guest today is Harlan Levy from the Harlan Levy Projects in Brussels. Alright, so I finally got a new English language show of the Helium Talk for you. But before I go into introducing Harlan, I would like to tell you something that just happened to my sweet little podcast. A few days ago, I got recommended by Apple Podcasts or iTunes, and they started to feature me on their platform as Neu und Beachtenswert, what loosely translated means new and remarkable. This is truly amazing. I jumped into the iTunes charts immediately and managed to get into the top 10 just this weekend. I've never been in any chart before, I think. This actually does wonders to the growth of my audience. I'm gaining lots of new listeners every day and I'm getting great feedback in the comments and ratings section. This also means that I would love to communicate even more with you, the people that hear this podcast, so I understand better what you like and dislike about the show or who you think I should talk to and what about. So drop me a mail at hello at heliumtalk.com or connect on Instagram through my profile at Helium Cowboy. One more thing is, there are many new listeners now. Just one short info. While I'm recording all my German language shows in my beautiful studio using just the finest podcast equipment, some of the guests of my English episodes I have to call remotely through the internet. Like Harlan. Due to this, there's a difference in the audio quality because my guest's recording gear is out of my control. On top of that, I had the windows open in the first minutes of this podcast because it's so hot in Hamburg today, so sometimes you hear the school in the background. Okay, and now let me tell you a bit about my guest today. Harlan Levy has established a very fine and well-known gallery in Brussels, one of the art capitals of Europe. With no money but hard work and dedication and I'm sure a good portion of healthy stubbornness, he has grown a small art space into a modern gallery that is recognized internationally by important museums, magazines and collectors. He takes part in some of the best art fairs around the world now and is knocking on the doors of the Champions League, say, Art Basel should not be too far away for Harlan, his team and his artists. Harlan is a great guy to talk to and he and I go way back. That is why I'm sure he smiles at the choice of words I used earlier. The stubbornness, I mean. Because we are pretty similar in that area and I believe it is important in this business to know what you want. We met in the early days of urban art when Harlan was the head of legendary Mod Art magazine. Probably the first, biggest and most important publication for everything street art and graffiti related in the first decade of this century. So you see, there's a lot to talk about. So let's dive right into the Helium Talk number 54 with Harlan Levy. have a you have an opening coming up soon right yeah we've got a few openings coming up going to your website you look like a very very busy gallery i don't, I don't think there's much of an option <laughs> i mean yeah. i mean i'm you could also just do two shows two great shows per year but that's you you could definitely do that i mean i'm kidding i, I don't recommend anybody to be too busy for any reason and like 
doing too much can can kill you for all the wrong reasons. So you you have to work smart, not work a lot necessarily in any any job. But um, but you know we 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 work at the at the service of our artists, and so that kind of dictates our pace. And when the pace is is high, you know, then it means it's momentum we have to keep up with, and that there are things that need need tending to and need support and, and need our, our our input. Um, and in slower periods, those are those are slower periods, and I guess it's fortunate that the slower periods have been rare because it means that all the artists are keeping busy and full of great projects that, that we uh, add some value to. Them. So that's, that's mm. good. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, when you when you opened uh, Harlan Levy project in 2011, right? 2011, was it? Yeah. yeah. It was more like a project space. You wanted to do, I don't know, challenging shows, I guess, or... Yeah, we still definitely want to do um, very challenging shows. Yeah, but of yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, I, you know, I, I'd been working. Um, I'd had a variety of jobs at that point in my life. I'd worked in academics, I'd worked in companies, and I'd um, most recently worked as a freelance journalist and, and editor, as you know, of a, of a magazine. And I, I did not really know like uh, about running a business, and I didn't really know about running a gallery or what a gallery did. And so, yeah, we opened our first space and. We called it a gallery, but it was absolutely a project space. We had no, no, no water. We had no, no heating. Um, and we were, we were like earning between shows with artists by doing thematic shows for like the United Nations or the European Union. And so we had kind of clients like that. Um, and we were learning what it meant to, to collaborate with artists in the way that a gallery could. Um, and we didn't really develop the team that we're working with, the team of artists that we collaborate with. So more like 2014, and I'd say around then, it becomes a, a gallery. So um, that, that space, was, you, were, you were already in Brussels by then? You were living there? You moved there yeah, I moved point? to Brussels in 2000. So. so when we met, you already lived in Brussels? Correct. See, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm starting to forget those yeah, man. I also just was thinking about when was the first time we met? The early 2000s, sometime. When was when, when was the um, the high time of Modern the Modern magazine again? Uh, you know, hard to define the high time of Modern <laughs> magazine because well, the times we met and we there was a lot a uh, lot of attention. <laughs> well, I, I believe we met probably around 2005 or six. Yeah, yeah you know, I think we did this mm -hmm. show at uh, your space in Hamburg mm -hmm. with my nonprofit, the Non Enemies Network. Uh, must have been around 2007, something like that. And I think the the show we did in Brussels, this rather large show at the Botanique Museum, that was in 2008. So, you know, somewhere 2005, six we missed the first. first yeah, probably 2005, yeah. And, uh, and at that time, we basically met, then you, the Mall Art Magazine was uh, probably one of the, the more, more important publications, or more, probably the most important publication in Europe, at least for, for the whole... Um, Urban art, uh, well, I remember we've been discussing whether urban art is the right term at the time. It was more like street art, graffiti, that kind of culture. So how did you come from, go from, I don't want to go too much into that one, but how did you go from that one to um, to actually the, the kind of art you're representing today, which is totally on the other side of the spectrum, you know, if, if, I, if I can put it like that? I, I guess that um, I, I don't see this on the other side of, of my spectrum or the, the way that I, I of the see art, of the art world, I think. Yeah. But I, I was never interested in, in the art world as a, mm -hmm. as a thing, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, 
And I think that's a, almost another another topic, like this this sector, sure. or this industry, or this uh, arena that we're working in. But like my first interest in in the stuff that we dealt with 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 Motor Magazine. I mean, one, it was it was friends who who brought me into that, and yeah, I could articulate what they were doing, thinking, caring about in in in, in a way that seemed to um, you know spark conversations that were necessary. Mm-hmm. And I had great pleasure in doing that. Um, but it was also for me at that time, a kind of social political belief. Mm-hmm. Like if we think back to the end of the nineties, like going way back, yeah. um, you know, the world was in a little bit of a different place and we were getting the beginning of peer to peer networks, Linux and open source and, and Napster and, and, you know, great fears were globalization and like that companies would become countries and that citizens' rights would be lost towards capitalist agendas. And, and th- this was a, a thing that brought great protest movements together. Yeah. And protest movements like the Battle for Seattle or the WTO protests or street art, which is how I, I read into that in the first place. And a lot of the artists you would talk to talked about making art more accessible to the public, about a public space that was like uh, just covered and tattooed to death with things that tried to sell to you, with things that tried to sell you political beliefs, product beliefs, beliefs about yourself. And, and the, the street art that I was attracted to was, was resisting that and was saying, hey, there's mm-hmm. a space in public for citizen to citizen communication. So it was, you know, it wasn't about the aesthetic and it wasn't about the artistic practice. It was more about the way art could provoke social conversation. That's what excited me. And that's the same thing that excites me in my program today. Um, yeah. And then we could go further back into where things moved or changed and how they changed for me or for, you know, I, I think like I remember talking to Jeremy Fish a long time ago. Yeah. He said something very nice about not naming movements, you know, and that how if you name the movement, you kind of kill it and you make it into something that people can talk about over wine and cheese and blah, blah, blah. And I think with that whole thing, like, you know, back then there was a lot of confusion and people trying to brand a movement that was against brands and then people finding their own self-interest in that. And, and what started out as like a, a, a physical social network, like a physical thing where you could meet people and make new friends and travel and explore, it, it, it became something else. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I'm still doing the same thing, actually. Okay. But... But you have you you have to agree that there's uh, this big difference in the in the art that we are presenting today, uh, the art that was, and is still created, you know, sort of from 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 the yeah well, from the scene uh, of of the urban art. I mean, urban art has gotten huge. I mean, there are museums dedicated to that, and there are lots of festivals and shows and their own uh, art fairs and stuff like that. So it has grown, developed into kind of a world of its own, you know, and, uh, on a certain level. I mean, that one thing that. I think when we did it, everybody was saying from the fine arts department was saying, well, this is never going to be part of the fine arts world and or the art world, you know, in general. And now it is, you know, um, and uh, probably in my eyes, that's heavily business driven. But I had the feeling that that it was always a little bit the, the goal of the players that came into the whole urban art scene at a point when we started naming it and started to label it, you know, then you could start uh, uh, making sales with it, you know, and um, yeah. just one second. I think I'm just going to close the windows. Just hold on one second. It's so warm today. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, who needs air? 
Okay. Oh, I'm back. Um, <laughs> where was I going with that? Um, yeah, well, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I can kind of respond to that too. And I think it's, it's maybe not the most interesting conversation we can have, but one, I think that like, um, that there aren't museums that are dedicated to whatever we call that movement. Mm -hmm. There are entrepreneurs who started what they call museums that mm -hmm. are dedicated to that movement, right? They're not like institutions that have shifted their view to make expansive spaces for that piece of history or present or whatever we want to call it again, mm -hmm. right? Like there have been shows in museums and there are artists who earned recognition in that scene who have bled over into like the broader area of contemporary art. Mm -hmm. But mostly I think it still functions, which was a kind of ambition of the participants of that scene as a, as a, as a separate arena you know mm -hmm. and like if i look at the galleries that are on the kind of fair circuit the trade show circuit that i'm interested in and the kind of like works they represent you don't see a lot of things coming from that area and i think it's normal i mean like for me personally i mean um i'm an accidental gallerist in a sense but what i would have preferred to have been was a studio manager that's what i loved i loved being mm -hmm. in the studio you know, shadow boxing the ideas, articulating them, and then helping the artists think about how to bring them to life, disseminate mm -hmm. them, and care for them once they exist. But none of the artists I knew could afford a studio manager, and I didn't even know that that was an actual job. I just thought what I like to do is something that no one gets paid for, so I need to earn. So we used the word gallery in the beginning. But mm -hmm. what it was was like helping artists. And, and, Obviously, I think like a key relationship gallerist artist is a two way street of inspiration. So I need to be inspired by the people I'm working with. And I think they need to be equally inspired by me that we both find we have something to bring to the partnership. We both yeah. have strengths to bring to each other. And with a lot of the stuff that I was interested in, you know, in the early 2000s, a lot of it is the same 20 years later, you know, mm -hmm. and so from the person making it, you know, it's, it's a personal journey and I'm not saying there's a problem with that kind of repetition. And I'm sure they can see the minute details of, of improvement, of sophistication, of shift. And that's all good for the person who has the joy of making. But then as a partner, how can my brain and my ideas keep shifting around that, keep learning from that, keep finding new things to be moved by? It becomes very complicated. And also the world has shifted a lot in 20 years. You know, like 20 years ago, we didn't interact the way we're doing right now. And now it's just very matter of fact. And you can jump on a call with somebody in India and then in Brazil and then in New York and then down the road in Hamburg. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's a very different world. So the things that like are of social, political or even emotional, psychological relevance today mm -hmm. are, are, are slightly different. I mean, you know, maybe the essential things never change throughout like you know, humanity, but the details do, and I'm alive in the details, and I'm yeah. turned on by that trip through the details, and the, they're different. So, I mean, if I was supporting the same people and they were doing the same thing, like, mm -hmm. then I would just be a seller of things and a communicator of their brands, and I think about it much more as an educational role of creating space for discourse, and that's what I thought in the beginning, too, like, reinventing the public space as a place where citizens could start conversations as a place for romance and poetry and also like serious political engagement. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's a. Uh, of course, you can't speak with me because I mean, as 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 different as artists are, as uh, art movements are, as styles and techniques are the same. You know, so there's a big difference between uh, most galleries. You can't just say they're all the same. But uh, for me, one thing that that is important for somebody who runs a gallery that I mean, I like I like the, the the spirit of the studio manager in a way. If you're able to still support your artists, um, also in their everyday work, you know, um, and uh, I think from a certain size that gets very complicated. Uh, you may have a lot of artist managers then that, that deal with them, but I think it's it's a lot about the the the, the, the passion and the drive and the, the the that you basically just. You know, sort of, you start this to do what you want to do, and uh, and uh, you have to make a living with it. But you can't really plan to make a living with it, you know. And um, and I think I think that that starting a space to to explore things that was also what what I tried to do a little bit with Helium Cowboy, coming from being an artist myself on a on a certainly on a on a, on a from different uh, background. Um, but I think that was always the factor that I think that you can feel in galleries when you go in there. Is is, is everybody as curious as me about what's going on? Uh, and can I can I can I raise this curiosity? I think one of I'm, I've been following your uh, progress over the last years, of course, just from from far away and from online because uh, it's a, we had a time when we met really quite off quite frequently <laughs> so now but that is uh, that is unfortunately over <laughs> um may not the time that we're can we see meet each other face to face um and uh and for me personally you know nothing much has changed from from the beginning because uh, the space might change and uh, the, the the venues where you can present it you know now you're going to to large uh, art fairs and everything but it's all driven by you know sort of simply put there's there's uh, there, there's a studio manager who wants to help these artists to show their best um and uh, and is that is that something that that somebody tires you or is that something where you think now I'm, you know, I have to get, you know, sort of to the next level, I have to make more progress, I have to push more, I have to somehow get the cash in for that. Because you said you started, you know, so, I mean, Gallery Healing Cover started also without any, you know, sort of funding or so, but, uh, you know, sort of, there's a lot of galleries who have a fuel tank in the basement, so to say, and, um, and how important uh, was the was the, the the financial success for your for your development of of of, of Harlan Lee project? Um, you know the money the money imposes itself like it does on us in our mm -hmm. lives. Um, it can do the same in the business. I mean, th there was definitely again a kind of romantic idiotic um, <laughs> attitude that I that I had where the the, the choice was about other kind of values than, than the economic ones. And though, of course, you need money and you need to eat and you need a roof and you, you get older and you start to think about like how you'll maintain all that strength and energy, uh, you know, mm -hmm. 30 years from now, if you're lucky or 40 years, whatever. So it, the, the money came later. I think in the beginning also, like we could add value to our artists without bringing in sales because all mm -hmm. of us were, you know, like many people in the arts wearing many hats, juggling many balls doing many different things to make the ends meet and the ends were meeting. And then there was this belief that these conversations were worth having and would grow and carry and, uh, and, and maybe even bring things back. And then of course you start to grow 
And, you know, in the beginning, like every time you go to an art fair, you figure out how to carry the things with you. And you ship with DHL and you declare it a gift so you don't have a huge customs value and you don't need a crate or an art handler. And the moment you get into those arenas, the costs go up, you know, quite, quite drastically, you know. Mm -hmm. So you're doing it in the beginning as a makeshift thing. And I think we're very close to, to our artists. Like we're learning with our artists. We're growing with our artists. And also our economic situation was the same as all of our artists. So you do naturally like get to a point where you have to invest a bit more and things are going to cost a little bit more and they're raising the market and building the market. And so like, yeah, then the money becomes an issue, but like the, the goal is not um, necessarily more money, you know, like there are goals of a good quality of life. Uh, we can discuss what that means. But the financial aspects are have always been hard and will always be hard, I believe. And they're getting better and with that come more costs and and more like opportunity to test yourselves and take on challenges and try new things. And so it's it, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but um I, I would say the financial success is important because if you don't have money you're not producing anything. Um, yeah, but but I think it's like this this gradual thing in art, you know. So so like when you just basically you answered it. Maybe my question was a bit complicated or long, but <laughs> that happens. Um, but uh, you know, to make the next move, to make take the next step. I mean, the uh, the affordable art fair is cheaper to do than the art Brussels. And when you're in Brussels, but when you then go to to the the Dallas art fair, um, then you have all the shipping uh, costs. And if you at some point you need. Uh, probably a bigger booth than the last time. Um, so to make that development also with your with your artist, the, the, the financial you know sort of climb has to be kind of the same. You know, that's true, and that's with your artist and with your clients and and with everybody. Like Art Brussels is a good example. Like we um, we said that would be the first art fair that we did with the gallery, and mm -hmm. that was important for us. And then we did the discovery uh, part of the fair, which cost less. You know, mm -hmm. like. Our Brussels is structured into three categories, let's say. You have discovery, then you have prime, which is the main section, and then you have rediscovery, artists born after a certain a certain year. And we did the discovery section for several years, and it was the cheapest to do. And mm -hmm. when we've been doing other fairs, like I'll go to Expo Chicago next month, and we do the exposure section. And we went to Zonamaco, and we did whatever they called it there. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't remember, but we're often doing like what I call the baby section, you know, mm -hmm. the section for new galleries because it costs less. But then, yeah, in, in Brussels, I can tell you my experience, the, the moment we moved to the prime section, mm -hmm. we, we met a whole new range of people. And the clients that we had, that we'd been building, the kind of community that's been building around us, um, they all showed up, and they were all like really like us, like, amazed and proud and excited to see the growth mm -hmm. and like then the growth was confirming the belief mm -hmm. and, and so I, yeah i do think that there's a necessary trajectory to like keep the things going in the right direction let's say and not getting them stagnant and mm -hmm. maybe that was the first thing about being too busy or appearing busy or having a lot of things on the go you know a lot of things on the go also means there's a lot of demand for the things you got on the go right mm -hmm. So, uh, Brussels was the first, I mean, fair, then uh, how did you get to Dallas? I mean, you, you're, you're from the United States, you're American born, well, you're from Ohio, right? Yeah, I'm from Cleveland, yeah. Ohio. Yeah. Cleveland. Um, 
I, I went to Dallas. It was recommended by a gallerist that I work with in London, um, mm-hmm. who I collaborate quite closely with. His name is Jeremy Epstein. His gallery is called Ada Lasanti. Mm-hmm. And, and he'd been going. And we talked about it. And I thought, like, you know, when it comes to art fairs, you, you have to be strategic and you have to know why you go to which places, right? So, like, mm-hmm. Brussels is a no-brainer. Like, you go because it's, it's participating in your hometown thing and the kind of, you know, if you're, if you're not doing it, you almost don't exist unless you're so big you don't need to do it. And so it's, it's part of it and I'm really, um, it was a great honor and we're really happy every year to be part of that week in Brussels. Mm-hmm. But Dallas, we thought like, hey, okay, it's a regional fair. It doesn't have the prestige of a Fiat or a Frieze or a Basel, but we don't have the chops or the price points or the reputation for those fairs now either. But some of the galleries who go to those fairs also go to Dallas. So it's a way to position yourself amongst galleries who have been in the game longer, who are maybe a bit stronger, and to be part of that conversation. It's also an area, because um, now, now I've been going there for several years and I've, I've developed a lot of um, relationships there. And I, I absolutely love it. I mean, I find it like, one, you've got like seven world-class institutions between mm-hmm. Dallas and Fort Worth, you know? Yeah. And so going to a fair where you can meet people from museums and build those relationships, for me, that's always an ambition. Which institutions mm-hmm. are around? Which ones might be interested in the program that I'm supporting? Um, so that was a key. Then two, this thing about leveraging with other more established galleries. Three, um, I know that there's you know a lot of successful people there and a lot of capital there and a lot of people who want to participate to the cultural conversation. And that's mm-hmm. what I understood from my, my good friend, Jeremy. And, and I found that to be the case. So a very open-minded place where people want to enter the cultural conversation, want to be part of it, and, and therefore want to be part of what's going on in the arts. So Dallas seemed like a good spot. And Expo Chicago I chose for similar reasons. Um, I'm from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. It is the one qualitative art fair in the Midwest at the moment. Um, so yeah, I'm always trying to be a little bit strategic and thinking about what I can get out of it because you, you know, the, the reality of the art fair is there are huge economic pressures for a small business. Mm-hmm. You know this, right? You can go to a fair and put in 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I mean, depending on the fair and the size of your booth, these things can cost you like even up to a hundred thousand and more. And yeah. then of course your risk is shared with your artist. So if I pay 20 to go to an art fair, I've got to sell to 40 to get to zero. When I'm at 40, my artists are at 20, but I'm still at zero, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you've got to think about it in the, in the long term, which isn't easy because I have short-term realities and pressures and bills to pay, and everybody sure. does, but yeah. you've still got to think long term. So, like, I never think about a fair based on the sales from that year. You know, like, one of my favorite art fair stories is one of my artists, T.R. Erickson. He went to a fair in Miami. I think, uh, I think it was Aqua. You know, like one of the hotel fairs back mm-hmm. in like 2007. Yeah. And, yeah. and after the fair, everybody asks you, so how did the fair go? Right. And this is a nonsense question. Okay. Because people are just asking, did you make money? And mm-hmm. actually, that is not the indicator necessarily of how the fair went, no. though that's the indicator of like how high your stress level or fear sure. might be about your bank account. Right. <laughs> yeah. But so like he was at this fair and um, the, the whole story is, 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 is a little tragic. I mean, the, the gallerist passed away prior to the fair. They didn't have a deep relationship, but he he took it on himself. He's that kind of person. He thought, like, mm-hmm. I got to beg, borrow, steal, get this money together, 
fulfill the mission. So he fulfilled the mission. How would you do at the fair? Well, he sold one fanzine for 100 bucks. Bummer. He lost the money. There's some other anecdotes in there I could tell you about. Like, you know, anyway, very uncomfortable situation for, for my friend. But fast forward 10 years later, and the person who bought the one fanzine mm-hmm. had been kind of instrumental in um, not only acquiring more works, but making introductions to other acquisitions. And, and then more meaningfully, um, being the kind of architect or one of the architects behind the show at the Cleveland Museum of Art, which is one of the best art museums in the United States. Um, and it came with a monograph from Yale University Press. And I mean, this was a result of a relationship started at the art fair, you know? So mm. I, I just think you have to keep those things in mind. And when you're making your, your selection of which fair, mostly I'm thinking about those criteria of like what will add value further down the road. And, and then there's, you know, one or two fairs that I go to sometimes that uh, I think there I need to make money because that's the reason mm-hmm. to be at that fair is to make new clients. Yeah, but it's not always the case. Yeah, I think it's um, that's a good that's a good point. Uh, uh, how, how do you how do you rate the success of uh, of uh, especially of art fairs because th- that is the most visible investment that people see when they go. You know, sort of they see that you're coming from Brussels to Dallas. They are, are all aware of the fact that this must have cost you a lot of money. Being at a fair alone, first thing, um, but of course then. It's always the question, you know, uh, it's, it's, but it's yeah, probably all the same with, with, with openings. Uh, I think you, um, people are used to, to, uh, to check on the, on the, on the, on the money that you've made or didn't make. Um, I personally, you know, sort of with the, with the art fairs, that's of course always a very huge pressure, bigger than when you do a gallery show, because in the gallery show, you still have much more time to get people in there and show them, ex- not just those few days, but, um, But it's 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 a shame actually that the question how was the fair you know how did you do at the fair uh, has got something to do with uh, with uh, with the money, um, especially because this this whole business I mean we've been doing this for some some time it is simply about relations that you build uh, relationships that you build uh, over the time uh, with artists but with other gallerists with uh, collectors you know I mean there's been so many. Collectors that that you know sort of that I've been working with um, over the course of time. Uh, some of them are still with the gallery. Some of them are still supporting artists. Some of the artists may not be there anymore because they decided to take on a job or so because it was too stressful. I don't know, or, or there's no connection anymore. I mean, uh, do you, do you know what Blami is doing? <laughs> Haven't heard from him in ages, you know. <laughs> But you know, it's like you know sometimes you know things. These things are really, really important. I mean, like us touching base after so many years, you know, and uh, and exchanging different uh, experiences now. Um, yeah, but you know, so and and I think also one one aspect of the fairs that you said is very strategic. What kind of fairs you go to? Um, it's something that I always try to tell people that are so hot on going here in Hamburg, going to the affordable art fair in Hamburg. Um, Uh, because that's, a, it's basically, it's a fair that doesn't, you know, sort of bring you any of these relationships we've been talking about. Um, but, but then, then our Brussels in Europe is one I would, you know, if somebody asked me, where should I go to? It's, it's, it's definitely art Brussels because it's, you know, Europe wide, I think one of the most important, I think it's art Cologne, of course, traditionally also a big one. Um, 
Spain, Spain is Arco probably still the most. Yeah, we're, we're going to uh, go to Arco for the first time this year. Um, in all February. right. To the to the breeder section or no, to the, to the right, prime right, section, right, right into the <laughs> right into the no, the no diaper section. Yeah, cool. cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's a bit fair. Um, and after that, it's like what army show freeze Art Basel. That's yeah, I guess. And then you could talk about like Lista, you know, next to Basel mm -hmm. is like yeah. a great fair for yeah, that's true. galleries. Independent in New York is a fair that mm -hmm. I that I think is uh, always really outstanding. Mm -hmm. um, of course, you've got the NADA fairs. We became a member of NADA uh, okay. this year. Not NADA is the, the the new art dealers association. Yeah, um, and so we we haven't done their fairs, but we decided to become a member of that network okay. uh, for various reasons. And but they do fairs like they're doing one the first one, sorry, the first one in Chicago mm -hmm. uh, this year. They are in Miami every year. They used to have a fair in New York that they now moved into a more a more exhibition concept at Governor's Island. Mm -hmm. So it's a very okay. active network with galleries from all over the mm -hmm. world. Um, yeah, there, there are a lot of, of good fairs. There are a lot of mm -hmm. terrible fairs. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there, there's a lot of different ways to think about art, to buy art, to support mm -hmm. art. I mean, like, there are so many different, like, uh, layers to this art world onion, right? Like, mm -hmm. you mentioned the affordable art fair, and that's almost like a parallel universe to the... The totally track yeah. we're on, the way of talking yeah. about art, thinking about art, making art, evaluating art—it's completely different criteria. Mm -hmm. And I think also yeah. with the where we're both coming out of, like I, I think that's another like mm -hmm. bubble on its own, almost to an extent. Sure. Um, yeah. 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 Sure. One one thing is the the humming in the background. It's one. It does it come from outside or is the is this the is my computer heating up uh, from our ah computer. see that's uh, that's also a point with um with a headset you know because then you can't hear. Well, it. I I can get a headset and we can start over. Uh, you know, and we can try again next week and start no, over. No, no, that, no, no, that, no, 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 that's, that's no, no. I can There's a, there's a few tricks I can work on this sound file later on. It's just like. It's sometimes a problem with these remote interviews. And I think it's, you know, sort of, I mean, it's also about the content. And I'm pretty sure I get a lot of the interference out afterwards. And maybe okay. at some point your computer stops well, interfering I'm, with it. You know, it is getting so loud and hot that I'm wondering about yeah. this. This generation of MacBook Pro is a, it's crap. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, really, a, it's, it's not an old computer at all. And it has this, if you watch a video for an hour or half an hour, yeah. it starts to overheat. Anyway, anyway. Well, anyway. Okay. Not our topic. <laughs> Um, yeah, so yeah, <clears throat> Ferris, I think, uh, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an important aspect, but your main work still at the gallery. So, you know, like the, the, the new show you sent, you sent me a link to, um, uh, to a clip, uh, a preview of that and, and an interview. Uh, maybe you can, you can explain it, say a little bit about that show, because I think that also shows a lot of. You know, political uh, responsibility uh, uh, of an artist or, you know, sort of, um, I don't know whether responsibility is the right word, but it's, it's a pretty, well, it's a, it's a, it's a show that has a political uh, underlying uh, or not a political uh, topic, right? Is that, is that common with your artists? Is there a bigger discussion with society than, than, um, than with other uh, gallery artists? I, I mean, again, you said, as, as you pointed out, every gallery is so different mm -hmm. and every artist is so different. And, and people often in the gallery ask for like, uh, what's the line of your gallery? What's the red mm -hmm. line through it? What do you stand for? And, 
And at the end of the day, I think after a certain amount of years, because the world changes and art changes and everything changes, what you want to stand for is, is, is quality. But, mm -hmm. but that's a kind of cop out early on. Um, uh, I think definitely in our program, we work with artists who have a long term, like, research focus and interest in things, you know? Mm -hmm. I often feel I'm a person who's been rather broad, broad mm -hmm. education, broad work experience, linguistically even broad, but I kind of sometimes miss being deeper, you know, mm -hmm. like really going down the rabbit hole deeply into something. And I think that's something that artists can do that not many people actually get a chance to do in their lives. So that's, that's part of our, our line is like going down that, that hole and dealing with social phenomena, usually from initially a sort of firsthand personal experience, autobiographical point of view, and then extrapolating the things you experience beyond yourself into how those things might hit other people and where they might come from and how they might move. And in the case of the show that's opening during Brussels Gallery Weekend, it's an exhibition with Emmanuel van der Ware, and uh, it's a two-part show. It's a diptych of two new films. Mm -hmm. One of these films will be shown in the gallery. So that's actually the only work that we'll show in the gallery is one film. It is 22 minutes and called The Death of Canaan Sego. Mm -hmm. The second part of this diptych will be at a local museum, uh, the Botanique Museum. So I'm returning yeah. there like a, a decade after we place, did yeah. our show there. Yeah. If you remember this wild evening with the Boris Hoppick sculpture, and uh, our friend from France over there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that was quite a learning uh, moment for both mm -hmm. of us. I seem yeah. to remember you with one mobile phone in each hand. Like, <laughs> anyway. Um, and, and, and that film is, is called The Sky is on Fire. Yeah. Both films, um, they've got a lot of like, uh, common characteristics. They're both set in Miami. Mm -hmm. uh, research into both begins just after the Parkland school shooting. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely also interested in, yeah, the, the school shooting pandemic and the gun crisis in the United States and the culture around that. But I would say more than that, as a focus point, the focus point is not so much like a story, but how stories um, impact society today. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, to simplify that, maybe like, you know, the thing you don't see, like an event, like a, a, any kind of tragedy or something a little taboo, mm -hmm. like the school shooting, you yeah. weren't there. You don't know the people. You didn't no. experience it. But you get images of it. You know, mm -hmm. you get it from the news. You get clips of interviews and you get pictures. And then you try to stitch together, you know, what actually happened. And then you build your opinions on that. And then you share your opinions. And we live in this kind of um, constant mediatized miss on a beam. And I believe that Emmanuel's work is trying to operate in the gray zone between the physical space and the media space and looking at the relationship where things come out on both ends. So it's political in the sense that I think that this is a great challenge of our time, you know, mm -hmm. escaping the media echo chamber, you know, like escaping the possibility of democracy and participation leading to, you know, idiotville. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, where every opinion matters, but opinions are so uninformed and so passionate and emotional, but without any grounding that they're guiding our political choices. Like they're, it, it's a curious conversation. So yeah, the, the work is political because it deals with a phenomena that is socially 
very pressing and relevant guns. And -hmm. at the same time, more importantly, it deals with education and media aesthetics. And Mm -hmm. both films are also made, and Emmanuel's work often functions like that, using emerging like applications, let's say. So both Mm -hmm. are made with a telephone. And in The Death of Cana and Seagull, it's working with Periscope. So like looking at Miami, at testimonies from Miami, and thousands and thousands of hours of this, things that will be, you know, rejected into oblivion because they'll be deleted and disappeared and just kept on some server. And then he's working through them, looking through them and bringing these testimonies of a, of a town, of a time, and of a topic back together. The other film, uh, The Skies on Fire, is made with a application called Scan3D. And it's an application where you walk around something 360, you scan it with your phone, and then you can reconstruct it in the virtual space. So one is capturing and one is constructing. And in the one that's constructing, it looks like Miami. It looks Mm -hmm. like reality, almost. It's that reality that's just a little bit different than the actual reality where other things can happen. So there's, you know, I mean, between the, the way that the films are built, between their relationship to technology and society and to this phenomenon, there's a lot of them yeah do you split yourself up in your team with both uh i mean now that's are there, there are simultaneously these 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 two shows do you will you be at both uh ends traveling back and forth or you know so like lo- lo- logistically yeah I mean, if i want to meet the artist <laughs> yeah i mean you know like logistically uh one opens on september 4th okay. so like september 4th we'll do a little preview in the gallery for a few people mm-hmm. then we'll all go over to the preview at the museum and then we'll have a dinner, and then the next day we'll open the uh, the show at the gallery. So the, they're they're running simultaneously, but the museum has been great to work with, and they've got a really good team there. So you know we're collaborating on the catalog. It's a similar catalog, uh, you know, coming from both spaces. So there's a lot of good collaboration, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll be where we need to be. No problem. Mm-hmm. You're just saying something, you know, that I found very interesting. Is you're talking about catalog? You're doing catalogs for all your exhibitions? Yes. Yes. Um, and can you, uh, can you explain uh, 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 an online generation of people uh, how important print is <laughs> for art? I mean, why do you still, I mean, it's, it's, it's lots of money. It's harder to get to people. Yeah. But why, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess as a, uh, as a person who remembers the pre-internet time, um, <laughs> I, I find it so meaningful to to have a publication. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it meaningful to have something you can touch and open and read. I mean, however the, cal- the, the catalog is, if it was um, just digital or printed, it's a great value to have a catalog. Mm-hmm. It's um, generous in the sense that you can add contextualization to an exhibition. You can give more information. I mean, I think mm-hmm. one of the big jobs of a gallery is education all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think catalogs speak a lot to that. And at the same time, I mean, um, the amount of people you can get in the gallery, uh, there, there's a limit to it. Like, let's say if we have a very successful show, maybe a thousand people get in the gallery to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the artist puts in so much work and we put in so much work that you'd rather 10,000 people see it or 100,000 people see it. Like, I believe in the conversations and the impact these things can have. Mm-hmm. catalogs help things go viral. I mean, mm-hmm. they help them multiply. So this is a tool that I can send to people to put on their desk. I can send it to curators. I can send it to clients. The artists can give them away to curators, to friends, to whoever. And so like, um, 
you know, I, I don't know. My, my mom's a librarian. I could find a lot of reasons why I, no, it's I mean, important to me to publish, but um, it adds a lot of value to what we're doing. I totally agree. I mean, it's, um, I think it's also for, you know, if you if you look at these times, I mean, if you're if you're a young artist, or um, and I'm and I'm pretty sure that this podcast is being listened to by many young and emerging artists who want to know a little bit about the background of uh, of the whole business. You know, that's why it's so interesting to talk to uh, somebody who runs a gallery, um, uh, so that you know, so you know a little bit about the background. And I think that's the whole print issue thing is is got a little bit uh, forgotten. But just look at the. I mean, if you're a young artist and you take care, we had this discussion quite often with gallerists and with artists. It's always very important. One of the things that comes first, have a great Instagram account. Uh, we both know the value of, of social media to making our work public. But if, if you, if I, for example, go to an Instagram account, I scroll through the first lines and then I'm either, you know, sort of, and I don't know nothing about nothing. I don't know nothing about the artist except for I having, I'm having a visual, experience on my smartphone and and a, a book can capture much more about what's actually behind all that because you know sort of you can an artist can unfold his life or his career on on two pages or three pages and you can understand more what it's all about because you don't know anything about anyone you're just looking at social media um my ads and so that's for me that's always a recommendation to any young artist try to you know sort of get a Get a catalog for your show. I mean, it's not always possible, and it's also a, a cost issue, of course. But it's something that everybody should aim for. And I, we were lucky in the beginning that we always had, you know, in the beginning always enough support for print, and uh, at some point enough money for print. Um, but now I'm not doing this very often either. You know, it's just um, it's a shame actually. So I'm, I'm uh, that's why I just why I jumped on that point because I think it's super important, and I like the fact that you're still doing that. It's also much nicer in your shelf after a couple of years when you say, okay, these are the shows we've done and not go on my Insta on my website and see under exhibitions what we've done. Absolutely. I, I love it. Also for me, I mean, um, often I write them myself. Often I, mm -hmm. I hire other writers, but it's, it's, it's a pleasure and it's important and it, it gives an extra weight, as you said. I mean, I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And when you do go to a fair, for example, and you don't know people, it's really something to put it in their hand and that they mm -hmm. can go and, and, and sit down and read something and mm -hmm. look at it and you have that information. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, of, of course we, we live in this digital time and like, you know, everything on the web and everything in the cloud has its value and its tools yeah. to be used. And but this is still a tool that has um, a lot of value in what we're doing. You know, yeah. That's what I would say. And for me, a much greater value, like I have no value from Instagram. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, a lot of the work that I that I um, support and, and believe in, uh, you, you need your body to be there, and like that's a conscious choice. This mm -hmm. kind of necessity of physicality and, and presence, and um, I don't know. I mean, like I've never sold anything off Instagram. I've yeah. never made a new client off Instagram, and none of my artists have. And most of my artists, like none of them, spend time like like real time with their Instagram. Most have yeah. accounts. Not mm -hmm. all. Some have accounts with no posts, just voyeur and like, so that they see when they're tagged and they see when mm -hmm. they're mentioned. Um, some post, you know, like once or twice a week, three times a week, but like it's, it's small potatoes. It's more like, yeah. because it's a pool, you've got to put your feet in and mm -hmm. like to at least know what the water's like. Then it's like, you know, a place where you're actually growing or being challenged or learning or meeting the people who will help you. So like it's, 
you know, the, the catalog applies to my program much better than an Instagram page in 2019. It, it's also, I mean, one, one thing that I really, I mean, I, I sometimes get, I don't, it, it looks like it, but I don't spend too much time on, on the whole social media thing. It just have, I just, I have, I have to feed it, you know, uh, it's just part of the, the marketing I'm doing for the gallery, um, and for what I'm doing, you know, so, uh, but, um, one thing that that is completely missing from from Facebook and Instagram and all these things is is the word itself. If you start writing more than two or three sentences, which I sometimes like because I think it's necessary to understand what we're doing or what I'm doing there, uh, then people never read it. And I actually get comments: "You write too much." But how can I actually write too much? You know, should I post more pictures? Or more words and one of the reasons why i'm doing this podcast is we are back to the word you know um and people actually really take time so there's also development that i kind of like i mean people are listening to to us talk for an hour about this and uh, and this uh when you look at the numbers there's actually a lot of people that stick to it and don't skip at some point you know and um and and that's that's my my main issue with uh, with, uh, with 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 these social media channels um that that they put also so much pressure on on artists uh, and creatives to be present and see this as their portfolio. Um, but then again, not every artist can have a, a gallery uh, that takes care. Um, uh, also, I'm I'm not quite sure whether there are so many there are a lot of galleries that don't really have a program anymore. I mean, yours you have one. Um, so in your in your but. You, I, in your, from your perspective, what uh, what makes a good gallery? Um, what's a gallery that you think, I mean, you are or want to become or, or strive to be? Um, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, what what are the factors for that? Publishing is good. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I I would like to stay a little bit on the trajectory we've been. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I I would like our revenues to keep increasing. Mm -hmm. I would like our artists incomes to keep increasing i mean that's that's a big thing like, i didn't think about that at the beginning of this story of having a gallery mm -hmm. um but i definitely do now you know like uh mm -hmm. what do you bring back in terms of money to your artists and as well as the other things and you know i mean like i, I don't i don't know if i told you about this morning i'm helping to do an interview i'm helping to produce a book i'm talking to the writers to the graphic designer then i'm talking to somebody in the government about a public art project for an artist Then I'm going to visit a curator to talk about something else. Like the, the job is so vast when you're helping to move all these things. So, I mean, I would like a little bit more staff, mm -hmm. you know, like I yeah. do this together with my partner, Winnie, and we have one uh, employee, Nina, and we need another, you know? And so like, that's a goal to be like, I don't want to be a, a, a big shop. I, mm -hmm. I'd like to be a couple more people and, That way, all of our artists can get the attention that um, that they deserve and that, mm -hmm. that can help them because, you know, that was something with growing that, like, um, some artists need a lot of time and others need less. I mean, so mm -hmm. for me, I would like to continue being the gallery that helps artists think about the works that they want to bring into the world, bring them into the world, and care for them once they are in the world. Mm -hmm. In doing that, I would like to add context and educational value around these things, you know, so that, like, at the end of the day, there'll be a bulk of information about these ideas we felt were so beautiful, meaningful, or valuable for society. And I, I guess that's, like, a, a loose um, way to talk about the, the ambitions of the gallery. Mm -hmm. you know? Like, never want to be a huge gallery, want to be a bit bigger, and want to do better for our artists all the time. 
we're moving to a bigger space next year. Um, this, this adds a lot of opportunity. Our artists are absolutely excited about the challenges that brings. We're very excited about how that allows us to kind of catalog and uh, coordinate all of these things. I, I also think that there are like a lesson that I learned very early is that there are artists who are gallery artists and there are artists who are not, mm -hmm. you know, like there are artists who want to be part of um, this kind of collaboration and who need to be. And there are artists who don't, you mm -hmm. know, and like um, in the beginning, when I worked with people that I knew from Modart Magazine, a lot of them had like a really false impression of like what a gallery could do and should do. And it was super naive. Like they kind of expected the gallery sells. Mm -hmm. I make amazing things and the gallery sells them. Mm -hmm. And that's not really actually how it works. And as amazing as you might think you are, you know, that doesn't mean the world is lining up to see what you've done today. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that the ones who do line up are ready to throw good hard-earned money at what you've done today. That's a much slower story, you know? And like, um, it can only go quickly when there's cash without diligence, without yeah. stake, without risk, and probably without labor to get it. You know, then, yeah. And then you can, you know, know rich people and blah, blah, blah. But that's not like my experience of this business. And I think that like, um, you know, the artists that I work with, we are partners in every sense of the word. Um, so from how we're feeling to like what's stressing us out, to what we're learning, uh, I, I don't know, you know, so like I worked in the very beginning with artists who couldn't keep deadlines and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe that's not part of your good life. I worked with artists who had really naive and uh, aggressive expectations about others and, you know, maybe too thoughtful or too generous uh, views of themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I, yeah, I, I still like many of those people and enjoy them as people in my life, but not as partners. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think this, this matters too. And, um, a gallerist artist relationship is very much like a non, uh, at least for me, like a non-romantic marriage of sorts. Mm -hmm. So you need to like outline, you know, your, your expectations. Are you monogamous? Do uh, you have a, an open relationship? Are there some exceptions to these things? What do you expect the, the partner to do for you? What do they bring to the relationship? I mean, I think you have to set these kind of guidelines and make sure that you're, you're a good fit. So, I mean, there are artists who, you know, don't need me to make them any money and I add value somewhere else. And then there are artists who don't need that extra value and would only need the money. And so you've got to know which kind of gallery is good for you, which kind of partner is good for you. And, um, you know, but I, I, I will say, and I don't want to harp on it, but going back to like, you know, you, you talked about me changing the art that I'm interested in. I still have like some um, sadness about what didn't change from that scene we were in and about how some of the views that were so prominent that dragged me into it about like, I, I don't want to use the word rebellion, which people used because it makes it sound too juvenile, but yeah. about social change, about things they weren't content with that they wanted to to improve about a kind of care for the world. And then it all went absent and it all became a kind of branding of the self and a kind of celebrity culture without a great deal of, of depth. Most of the time, you know, actually mostly really cheap. And I found like, this is a weird thing because a thing got attention for its bravery, its boldness and its compassion. And, and then it became exactly the thing that it was trying to change. And, and there's not a whole lot of reflection about that. And even when I check like, 
how artists like, you know, you were talking about how the business driven thing, but it's also the artists who don't actually often make enough study or survey or overview of the area where they work, what's going on in contemporary art or the world, you know, and like mm-hmm. sometimes I look back at that scene and I'll check the auctions and you can see people's prices from yeah. like, and you'll see a guy who's in a gallery and these mm-hmm. are galleries that I frankly don't take very seriously and they'll be selling something, let's make it up, let's make up a number for 10000 and you'll mm-hmm. see that that same kind of work just sold at an auction for 500 mm-hmm. and then you're like, now which kind of jackass spends 10000 when he could get the same thing for 500 I, Yeah. So I don't know. There's a lot of problems with how that whole thing evolved. And I think it was never meant to. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's great for the artists who came out of that and managed to make a living. For me, they're also, it's, it's kind of genius. You do mm-hmm. whatever you want. You make what you love to make. So whatever I think about it, you know, screw me. Like, good yeah. for you, man. You know, like, that's not easy. But still, I, I think, like, in terms of, like, uh, you know, being relevant about the world and caring about it, the bottom fell out. And like, I think there's more negative things you could attach that movement to in terms mm-hmm. of gentrification and brand development and this sure. whole nonsense of Instagram influencer where people can have no ideas and actually influence democracy. Like, mm-hmm. it's a scary thing. And I think like when I'm looking back on that moment, like I didn't shift my interests, but what was happening there yeah. shifted its like core ethics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very well put. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that too. I think it's the part of education that is also missing there a little bit. And there's a completely different um, or lacking lack of understanding of, of, of several things. Uh, as, as I said, how galleries work, how an exhibition work, what's the what's the purpose of an exhibition for an artist? And what's the goal? You know, the goal is uh, is not defined by the by the money that the check that you can write. You know, we both agree the money is important, but it's not. Uh, it's if you if you're coming from from and especially from 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 that uh, that part, it's artist artist has become a profession that you decide uh, you know so at some point say well I'm going to study illustration I'm going to be an artist and uh, for me personally the the, the, the that's nothing you, you can you know, so, so easily decide to do your profession and but it's like it's like from as from a textbook oh i'm going to be an artist i'm going to spend so much money and time on instagram and social media um and then i'm going to sell at some point uh, my works at a gallery and that's you know sort of maybe never going to happen in any of this you know so any of this so. yeah i find it yeah. i mean i always find it it's, it's an interesting um uh, contradiction or an interesting space like this this thing about how you educate artists about mm-hmm. um, the entrepreneurial side of, of you know being an artist and even like so for, for example I uh, one of the things that I, I was doing particularly in the early days of the, the gallery for extra income is mm-hmm. being a guest at different postgraduate residency programs mm-hmm. and one thing I was always amazed by because these were not students these were already professional artists like ranging mm-hmm. in age from 25, 26 to 40, 45. And if you would talk about, like, they were making video and you'd say, okay, like, how do you sell your video? And then they'd tell you, like, you know, the photography, rarity, principle kind of nonsense. Well, edition of five plus two artist proof and each edition goes up and blah, 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 blah. And you say, okay, but tell me a bit more. How do you, you know, what are you actually selling? Oh, what am I selling? Oh, I put it on a DVD or on a memory stick or I send them the link. So, yeah, yeah, but what are you actually selling? Because obviously you're you're selling rights, you know. Like mm-hmm. if you sell a video, it's it's a set of rights that you're selling. Mm-hmm. It's not the physical thing. So whatever mm-hmm. the 
storage device or the delivery mechanism is, the stick, the disc, well, it doesn't matter. Like, can I repro- replace it if you, you know, can it be replaced if it goes wrong? Can you reproduce it so you get it on a disc, you want to put yeah. it on your server or into your hard drive? Can you screen it for people for who? Mm-hmm. These are the kind of basic rights. And then I thought, well, like, how do these people who are dealing professionally, who have a decade of education, not know these basic things about what they're doing? Because it's mm-hmm. part of the care of bringing it into the world and thinking about its future. If we're going to be really over the top, it's like making a baby. You put something out into the world, you better give it enough love to know where it's going yeah. to go. I mean, it's, I'm exaggerating, but like, bear with me. So they didn't know this. And I thought, okay, we have to start to teach this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. teach an artist. What's a consignment note? Do you know what a consignment note is? Because most don't. And then even institutions yeah. will damage a work that wasn't insured because there was no note. And many galleries and many artists. And like, so... The basics of decency and care, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're not part of the academic training often. And, yeah. and then I met other people who said, like, yeah, we need to teach this stuff. And they were immediately teaching, like, first-year students about marketing and branding mm-hmm. and how to make their Instagram, how to do their LinkedIn, how their website should be. Mm-hmm. And then you think, but at that age, you have nothing yet to say. You have yeah. nothing yet to brand. It's too early. So... Yeah. On one hand, you need this kind of basic pragmatic education to understand the risks you're taking. Like, you need to rent the studio, you need to buy material, you need money coming in, healthy to have a think about what you need and how you will achieve that, like an entrepreneur, if that involves yourself, your gallery, whoever, right? But on the other hand, if you teach that too early, you end up where we are, where a lot of people are selling things and talking about how amazing they are, but this is lost in the land of ego and illusion. I mean, like... There's no ground to put your feet down on. So where do you start that education? You have to start it once there's something to actually sell and say. And you know you know what I mean? So yeah, I know. I, yeah. I, I don't know. So I'm between the two. On one hand, I would like more artists to be you know, helped out that the gallery doesn't have to teach them those things because they all need mm-hmm. to know it. And as you said, they don't all have galleries. So there need to be some kind of programs like this. On the other hand, teaching that too early, like, what a joke. I mean, that's like when you go to art academies and it doesn't always happen, but it does happen because, you know, probably you too. I, I tend to sit on a jury or two at mm-hmm. the end of the year for the schools. And I like to do that. You know, you meet your, your colleagues and people you've never met before. And you go to see like what the kids who are coming out of the academies are doing. And um, it, you're always hoping for something you don't even recognize from art history. You know, you're always mm-hmm. hoping for something that just messes you up where you go, what the hell were they doing? How do I have to even think about that? How can I understand that? Yeah, man, teach me. Here we go. But mm-hmm. often these days, maybe not often, but like at least 60% of the time, you, you feel like you're walking into a ground floor Chelsea gallery with things that are ready to sell in a boutique. And it's yeah. all about like that instinct, you know? And I would like to erase that. Like you can explore and experiment in school. You shouldn't mess it all up and burn it all down, but you still have to learn how to treat it when you get out mm-hmm. and how to develop that into something like, you know, that gives you whatever it is you're looking for, right? Um, mm-hmm. Whatever it is you need. So, yeah, it's a, it's a blend, but I, I, I appreciate when art takes the risks and the chances that it should. And I think a gallery has to do the same with their artists. Like, and I also find it really funny that like um, often when you do something, like we, we had Emmanuel's work also at Art Brussels, yeah. and we showed a big video sculpture in a solo booth next to our booth and so many people told me like man you're so brave what a great risk you took to show this here 
And I'm thinking like, wow, what a weird place we're in in the arts where on one hand, we can be mega traditional and boring, mm-hmm. you know, and on the other hand, we want to reward and we know the value of doing something that's not so boring. And I mean, I just thought like, wasn't this the no brainer thing? Like, mm-hmm. it's an amazing work. It's the kind of work that people don't see often or ever. It's, you know, an addition of two and one is bought by a major museum. The other one is bought by like an amazing private collection. So why would I not put this here to let yeah. these 25,000 people on this merry-go-round? And like the result was a lot of wonderful texts, mm-hmm. you know, wonderful conversations and more interesting the artists. So that for me doesn't look like a risk. That looks like showing good work. But yeah. for the, the f- periphery of the market, that seemed like a great risk. So, you know, it's like, and, and, and I'm already old enough to, to try to mitigate my risk. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're coming out of school, you shouldn't mitigate anything. You should just blow the barn doors off. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally true. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very important aspect of, um, of what, an, what a gallery can actually enable an artist to do by just providing this, you know, the, 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 the means and the space and the support um, to do that. Uh, that's um, one of the reasons why I'm doing very few shows and I'm not really representing artists anymore because I don't feel I can do this enough i don't my my manpower my time is uh, is is, is uh, i spend on many many other things or many other things but you know sort of on a few other things that are more important to me than that part once was and if i cannot provide that i don't i don't see a point in in in, in doing that you know from from so that's you know this, we just opened an exhibition with an artist last weekend and he's one of the very very few artists that I'm working this close with and who am I supporting outside of the exhibitions as well. And that is much more rewarding for, for both of us. You know, I feel much better with this, you know, and, uh, and I think, um, I think that is a, a very, very, very big aspect of, uh, of, of a good gallery, you know, sort of making, you know, making a good job. Yeah. And, and knowing what that means and, and knowing the time that, that, that mm-hmm. needs, I mean, yeah. You know, we started the conversation about being busy and blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I can also tell you, because we didn't talk about that, but like we've seriously reduced the number of exhibitions we do mm-hmm. in the gallery every year. Like in the beginning, we tried to be on pace with yeah. all the galleries, which is like more or less every five weeks you rotate the show, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then what we found is that we spent so much time, cash, energy on the mm-hmm. Installing, deinstalling, packing, hanging, promoting, but we were always like chasing our own tail, right? And like then you know the game of press too that you got to kind of be like mm. four months, three months, like a good you know a good quarter yeah. of the year ahead of yourself with your materials, with images, with text, with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're like just jumping through it, you know you're very busy and you're sweating a lot and you're working hard, but you're not doing the things that actually help you. I mean that's what yeah. I I found for us. So now we try to do our shows like at least two months, you know, sometimes three months. And in doing this, we give ourselves more time to let writers write. Mm-hmm. We give ourselves more time for busy people who might be traveling a lot because that's also the way the, the world tends to be right now to actually have a moment to come see the show. So we increase the audience, we increase the writing, we increase everything. I mean, like, and, and inevitably the sales also go up the longer we keep a show because you're not sure. like, running on to the next thing. 
So I, I do think like if it's the catalog, if it's the length of the exhibition, there's a lot to be said for slowing down. So I mean, I think you're and you do it also because like you know the other hours you need to keep the other things that are important to you, like you know as a person, right? And like mm-hmm. you're carving out your good quality of life, and we all take art very seriously because it is such a personal occupation. And like we even take it so seriously, we end up hurting ourselves. But at the end of the day, we know we're taking something seriously that is also very silly, you mm-hmm. know. And um, sure, and you have to keep that in perspective and like, uh, yeah, protect your protect the space to preserve your mojo. Very closing words for me. But um, anything else you would like to discuss today? We've scratched on the surface of several things today that could maybe be a topic. So, so that maybe we get together for another podcast as, at some uh, some time and just have one topic that we pick out and just go on that. Sure, I, I mean, I, I'd love that. You know, it's a nice way to catch up with you and uh, yeah, and shoot the breeze. You know, so uh, if there's a topic there that you want to talk about, I'm, I'm I'm happy to because I definitely got to learn a lot about galleries and fairs, like mm-hmm. watching Helium Cowboy. You know, and uh, <laughs> we're still learning that you took to like yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, but still, like you, you, you were doing cool mm. stuff, and uh, and people were taking notice, you know. And mm. um, yeah, from the ten year show to, mm-hmm. to some other things, I've got vivid memories. And like, I, I think it, your gallery was probably the first gallery I ever had any kind of relationship with because I also had that kind of prejudice, you know, before mm. knowing like that there are all different kinds of galleries and like what the workload is like. Or I, I also had that thing like that, uh, you know. A lot of the artists that we knew at that time had, like, I didn't want to go in a gallery. I found it a place for people who had money that I didn't have, who were doing trades. And like, mm-hmm. you know, it was a fetish, like objectifying thing. And I, I, I didn't get it. And I felt like I didn't belong there. And like, um, as a younger person, I had that prejudice against galleries, you know, and, and yours was the first who, you know, who, who showed me how close a gallery could be to its artists and, and how rock and roll and risky and, um, And kind of radical, like uh, daring to do that could be. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we could definitely talk, but maybe about today instead of yesterday, because that will definitely. Of course, no, yeah, no, that's worse. Yeah, no, no. But well, thanks for your very kind words. <laughs> it was great talking to you. Pleasure. Helium Talk.